Today on The Bulletin and Beyond, I, Kimberly Price, am presenting the program. We touch on many issues including Warrnambool City Council, the Koala Massacre and Zach Merritt. Tune in and don't forget to subscribe. A major topic for this week has been the Warrnambool City Council after their council meeting on Monday night and we have Deputy Editor Rachel Houlihan here to talk us through some of the issues. So Rachel, one of the first things that came up was that they've backed a move to see more free parking in the CBD. What does this move entail? This has been a long ongoing concern for both business owners and people who park and use our CBD as well as workers. It's probably been going on for more than 20 years since parking fees were introduced and parking metres. What Councillor Peter Shulman has wanted, and this isn't a new proposal by him, he's done this on a number of times and been knocked back. He wants to see the first hour of every day free and then the last hour of every day free. So it's for people who want to duck in, go visit a few shops in the early morning or in the afternoon after they finish work, maybe pick up a script and not have to worry about feeding the meter. Um, there has been so many concerns during the, fifth, the $18 million Leibig Street renewal that customers and business people, they were really concerned that customers were going out to Gateway Plaza because of the accessibility and then once the street was done, there was more concerns about parking and the cost of it, which had increased as part of the city centre renewal project. And shop owners really, really are hoping and they want customers to come back into the main street. So this could be seen as a positive. Uh, it is only during Christmas, which we all know that's when, you know, it's the busiest time of year. People are buying presents. We want to see lots of money spent in our CBD. So it does seem like a step in the right direction if it does get passed. Fantastic. And on our Instagram poll, 93% um, of you said that they think the CBD should have free parking as well. So there's a little bit of um, backing on this from the public as well. An ongoing saga for a very long time has been horses on beaches and that debate sparked up again this week um, as Councillor Kylie Gaston um, implored fellow councillors to vote to prevent horses on beaches after traditional owners had spoken to her. Can you tell me what the outcome of this vote um, was, Rachel? Well, this is another long ongoing concern. I think I previously was writing about this for a good four years, I believe. So what's happened now, all parties, so there's obviously the traditional owners of Spookies and Levy's Beach, who are our Indigenous community, and then, of course, there is the commercial arm, which is the racing industry, which includes, obviously, trainers, owners, jockeys, and the Warrnambool Racing Club. So at the moment, it's at a bit of a standstill. Uh, Obviously, the horse industry, the racing industry, want to get access back to the beach. They believe that it is beneficial for horses to go up and down the sand dunes and that it uh, yeah, uh, can help their horses win. However, the traditional owners are saying, no, this is a sacred site for us. It's a, a burial site. We do not want horses to return to the beach. So the latest move is that the City Council is going to get all of those stakeholders in a room and sit down and further discuss, well, where do we go from here, what's next? Um, it just seems like an incredibly long and drawn-out process, and to be honest, I don't know where this is going to end up because it does feel like it's been going around in circles for a very, very long time. And the final topic that we've got today is Council released their mid-financial year budget, which is $700,000 healthier than expected, and it's prompted a lot of questions. Can you tell me what questions it sparked? Absolutely. So this is a very interesting one. So last year, we wrote a lot about Warrnambool City Council applying to raise the rates above the state-regulated um, 
rate, right, the increase. So the, across, all councils across Victoria are only allowed to raise their rates by 2.25% every year. Warrnambool City Council said, nope, that's not going to work for us. We don't have enough money in our coffers. We need to, you know, renew items, fix things up. So they applied to the elect, uh, Essential Services Commission and got permission to raise our Warrnambool City Council rates to 4.5%, which resulted in, obviously, hundreds of thousands of dollars of extra cash. Now, the mid-year budget report has shown that the um, yeah, council coffers, the council budget, is in a very healthy position. It's uh, nearly $700,000, uh, not a surplus, but at the moment, because obviously that can happen to the end of the year, but it is quite healthy. And questions are being raised now by Councillor Petty Shulin, and I'm sure other people in the community too, who had to bear the brunt of the rate rise, was this rate rise above the state regulated cap required. However, the CEO, Peter Schneider, has said that, yes, it was required, it still is required, that those figures are likely to change come end of financial year. So we'll be keeping a very close eye on that one. So we'll be waiting and seeing what happens there. Today we're going in-depth about the koala deaths at Cape Bridgewater Blue Gum Plantation. Now, our reporter Andrew Thompson reported on Sunday that around 60 koalas had been checked by vets and 35 had died. And on Monday I went out to Cape Bridgewater Plantation and I talked to Helen Oakley who broke the news with a distressing video on Wednesday last week. There's koalas all the way along Bridgewater Road. I mean, you know, some people will walk along and not see anything. The majority of times I walk along, I'm looking up in the trees and things like that. It was the most highly dense um, blue gum plantation of koalas mm. in South West Vic. Yeah. So obviously, where are they all? It's just devastation, um, complete um, bulldozing, uh, clearing of the blue gums and the vegetation, mm -hmm. um, exposed blocks, um, lots of sand, uh, it was hot days, the first couple of days after I noticed. Lots of co little koalas, to me they looked like there were a lot of babies um, in, in the trees on the Bridgewater Road section. Mm -hmm. um, and when I obtained access, I came through probably on the Thursday night, I reckon, mm -hmm. with Janet, and we drove through. We counted all the ones in this lot of trees, and that was up around the 40s, I think. Mm -hmm. um, so it was highly concentrated area. I think we got about 55 to 60 koalas we counted mm -hmm. between here and um, down around the front. Yeah, wow. Oh, all the koalas need to be relocated. Um, mm -hmm. Government have to come up with some sort of strategy um, to have some sort of plan in place um, if they're going to continue planting these kind of plantations where the wildlife create the habitat mm. and then it and then all of a sudden in years later it's being all bulldozed so you know it's a, it's, it's a pointless exercise for the animals to be going in there because mm. they're going to be killed and slaughtered anyway. Mm. State Member for South West Coast Roma Bricknell asked Parliament on Thursday morning to look at management of koala populations in the South West and the potential for regulations and monitoring of land handed back to private owners following the harvest of this plantation. And you heard just before what Helen Oakley believes should happen um, to the koalas, that yes, there should be this monitoring. Um, now that it's been brought up in Parliament and that the investigations are still ongoing at Cape Bridgewater, it looks like this topic will be continuing for some time. And today I went out and spoke to Tracy Wilson who has been looking after around 160 koalas from the Cape Bridgewater Blue Gum Plantation. They said that they are confident that all koalas 
have been found on the plantation, um, but these koalas will be monitored for some time before they transition back into the wild. So it looks like this issue may be continuing for some time. So our sports lead, Justine McCullough-Beasy, is here to give us the latest on the sport. Thanks, Kim. Yeah, it's been an interesting week in sport. We've had a mixture of stuff happen, some good, some bad, I guess you'd say. So um, we'll start up with some positive news. Um, Melbourne Country Week was announced this week with uh, the Warmbler District team to head down to Melbourne in a couple of weeks' time. Um, and there were some feel-good stories in there, uh, probably most notably Ross Levitt, who is 37 years old and going to make his debut down there which is pretty cool. Um, he's a wicketkeeper and, you know, he probably thought um, Country Week had passed him by, but he gets the opportunity down there, which is fantastic for him and for the Woodford Cricket Club. On a different note, I guess, in the basketball, it was um, the searches on for a new Seahawks import. So usually the club brings in someone from America to play um, for the big fee season, um, which starts around March. Um, unfortunately for them, they've lost Xavier Johnson-Blount, who... Is an absolute gun and their leading scorer, um, probably their leader on the court. So he's going to try and test himself um, in a high level next season. Um, and with the timing, it's a bit hard to try and find someone new. So whether they get someone or not, we'll wait and see. But fingers crossed they can, because generally the import brings the crowds in and gives everyone a bit of um, X factor and you know throws down some slam dunks and whatnot. Last night we had some positive news as well um, on the AFLW front um, with. Maria Maloney, from originally from Trang Mortlay, Garbock, Pam Muirway. Um, she's going to make her debut for the Brisbane Lions tomorrow um, against Adelaide. So that's a fantastic opportunity for her. She's about 24, 25, and, you know, she played footy as a junior and then obviously drifted away from the game, as a lot of girls did, and has come back into it and obviously got a bit of talent. So um, great to see her getting that gig with the Lions. Awesome, awesome. And still on the on the topic of footy, um, uh, Cobden Export, Zach Merritt, has lost his spot on the Essendon leadership team. Um, he has been the vice-captain of the club for the past three AFL seasons. Um, however, he's still only 24. Do you think he can get back in? Yeah, I think so. I hope so as well. He obviously got to the club and straight away they identified him as a future leader. Um, and, you know, he's, he's captained the club a few times in Dyson Heppel's absence and... You know, his resume is pretty impressive for his age. He's 24, played 126 games, won two best and fairest at the Bombers, been All-Australian. Um, so, you know, he's a very talented player, probably one of their best midfielders, um, particularly with ball in hand. Look, it probably was a bit of a kick in the guts for him, I assume, um, having been in the leadership group pretty much since he got there. And um, But, you know, it's player-driven, so that he just missed out on the boat this time. They've only gone with five people, Heppel, Dylan Shield. Devin Smith, Michael Hurley and David Saharakis. So, you know, there's not many spots up for grabs and it looks like he probably just missed out on a couple of votes. So um, I hope he can get back in. Uh, I'm sure this year he'll identify areas that he could work on to ensure that he gets that opportunity because I think in the future, you know, to be able to say you're captain that's in a football club mm. for a number of seasons would be a pretty pretty cool feather in the cap. So wait and see. It might, it might inspire him to play a career this season. Yeah, definitely. We'll be watching closely. And just finally, um, what's happening this weekend with sport? Uh, you got a few little things on. We've got um, the Country Basketball League Grand Final over in Portland. So we've got Warnable Mermaids playing Millicent Magic over there. And the Mermaids probably favourites. Um, got a really star-studded lineup with three or four women who've played WNBL before. So, you know, Fantastic. pretty impressive. Yeah. And then 
We've also got the Waterball Foreshore Triathlon on Sunday morning, so if anyone wants to get down and have a watch, it's on nice and early from, I think, 7, 7.30am. And um, obviously that's a great opportunity for people to test their fitness. Now, looking ahead to the weekend, there's plenty of live music to entertain you across the region, especially with the Port Ferry Jazz Festival, which is running throughout the weekend. Be sure to head down to Fiddler's Green on Sunday um, at 11am for the world record attempt for the most people dancing to the Charleston at one time. Also, the Bushfire Appeal fundraiser at Lady Bay Resort has a massive auction, raffle and entertainment for the whole family to enjoy. So head down to the resort, raise some money for the bushfires. Tickets are $30, which include an entry into the mega draw, and I've seen the prizes. They're fantastic. So many local businesses have gotten on board. So if you have some spare time on Sunday at around noon, head down to the Lady Bay Resort. And finally, on Saturday morning, the Great South Coast Disabled Surfers Association kicks off with registration from 9am and surfing from 9.30am at the Warrnambool Life Saving Club. So if you've got time on Saturday, head along to the Warrnambool Surf Life Saving Club and help bring some smile to these champion surfers of all abilities. Don't forget to subscribe to The Standard through our website for all our stories and features. We acknowledge the traditional owners of country, the Gunditjmara people, and the traditional owners of country throughout Australia and recognise their continuing connection to land, waters and culture. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. This has been a Warrnambool Standard production.